Uh, hey, everyone. It's Russ, and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Kyla Lines. Kyla is a family law attorney uh, here in Atlanta, and uh, we're just going to have an interesting conversation that we wanted to share with you. So, Kyla, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I, um, I have to admit, this is my first podcast experience, so I feel, uh, well, I feel a little younger. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's not a bad thing. I guess I'm, ha- I'm happy to play a role in that to, to, to right. some degree. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you could join. Uh, I'm glad you could join us. Um, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things we can talk about today, but why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and, and what it is you do. Sure, sure. So I am um, the new, new, newly uh, minted managing uh, member is the technical term, but most people would just call it a partner at Richardson Bloom and Lines uh, here in where our offices are in Midtown. Um, we are all family law all the time. Uh, I think actually all um, all of our our, our the Richardson part just recently retired, but our three uh, partners have only practiced family law exclusively, I think, the entirety of our our legal careers. Um, and before I uh, joined this firm, I was a staff attorney for a judge named Cindy Wright in Fulton Superior Court for nine years, and we were in the family division the entire time. Um, so this is this this is all I have done. Um, I, I originally, if you want to go go back into the full on details, I, I grew up in a, a tiny town in Ohio that is two hours from any place you've ever heard of, uh, and desperately wanted to get out of Ohio when I when I graduated from high school. So I did a a stint in college in New Jersey, and then moved to Atlanta for law school, and and it stuck. So I've lived here longer than than anywhere else. Um, and I, I, I am very happy to practice family law. I love what I do. And there are not a ton of lawyers who can say that. So um, there you have it. Yeah. And, and I, um, I, I was very deliberate when I introduced you as a family law attorney. And, and you've since referred to yourself as practicing family law, as opposed to a lot of my clients and and I think a lot of the public would would think of you as a as a divorce attorney or a divorce sure. divorce mm-hmm. lawyer. So could you talk a little bit about the maybe the scope or the breadth of all you do, um, maybe outside of just dealing with divorce cases? Sure, absolutely. So um, so yeah, when you think of of uh, when I think of family law, um, part of the thing that my firm in particular, our philosophy is recognizing that even when people divorce, you know, they still, especially when they have children in particular, um, they're still going to be a family. They're just not an intact family anymore. Um, so yeah, divorce law is, is their divorce is a big part of that. Um, but we also handle, um, you know, especially in the last 20 years, we see a lot more cases where, uh, folks weren't married, um, but, you know, had a oftentimes even a long-term relationship with children. And so, um, family law, the scope of family law includes handling um, custody cases in that context. Um, in Georgia, something called legitimation, uh, ensuring that children have uh, inheritance rights from both parents when um, they're born out of wedlock. Um, and then subsequent to divorce, post-divorce, uh, occasionally um, folks need to modify their custody schedule or their parenting time 
with a child or modify their child support uh, obligation or alimony obligation. So there are certain certain pieces of a divorce that can be modified post-divorce. Um, so we deal with those things. Uh, and then we also deal with um, contempt cases, which is when uh, one side uh, is not complying or is not uh, uh, obeying the court order that has arisen out of their divorce. And so, so we handle those. And then finally, um, all of the attorneys in my firm do what's called guardian ad litem work. And um, that is when essentially if parents can't agree on what a custody schedule is supposed to look like, the courts appoint uh, in most circumstances an, an attorney to investigate the situation and eventually make a custody recommendation to the court. Um, I'm, I'm proud to say my partner, Dan Bloom, is one of, if not the best guardian ad litem in the state. He's extremely sought after and he has trained most of us um, throughout the state uh, very well. Um, and then finally, I guess I said finally last time, but part of being a, a divorce lawyer or a family lawyer uh, is really, you gotta be part counselor. Um, you're dealing with people who are going through a, an extremely emotional emotional thing that is actually can be very happy experience for some people and a very traumatic and very sad experience for others. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a big piece of this is, is knowing your role um, and, and helping your clients understand when, um, you know, a, a good therapist can help, but at the same time uh, you have to come into this with a level of empathy and understanding for, uh, people's personalities that is definitely unique to family law. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that last part um, mm -hmm. about the empathy and sometimes the need for an actual therapist, but I, I imagine you often serve as an amateur therapist uh, <laughs> quite, quite often. I mean, you know, imagine the perfect storm of um, dealing with money, dealing with children um, and often, often dealing that in, in an environment of conflict. I mean, that's mm -hmm. as much as I think people would like to think we're going to be cool and calculated about this. It's a very emotional, emotionally charged experience for all parties involved. So I, I think the fact that you guys do uh, and are willing to bring up a, a sense of empathy and um, just treating people like humans, I think is, is important. I think that's often, um, you know, kind of almost joked about that, you know, attorneys don't serve in that role or aren't capable of serving that role. So I think, I think it's important that you shared that and I'm, I'm happy you did. And as I understand it, Kyle, you're also, you also serve as, um, uh, a mediator and, or an arbitrator, correct? That is correct. Um, part of my background and having worked for a judge for, for nine years, I think, um, brings a, a unique perspective for me on my practice because, or into my practice, because I, um, I've seen these cases from a more neutral perspective. Right. And so, um, even when I'm acting as an advocate, you know, it allows me to, to reality check my client and, um, you know, and, and say, I, I've worked for a judge. I know how judges see these things. And that's typically how we evaluate uh, all, you know, all of our, our cases is, you know, the major, vast majority, 90% don't ever see a judge. You know, you go to, you, you, you settle your case and we encourage settlement. Um, but at the same time, you always have the fallback on, well, worst case scenario, we're going to court and this is how a judge would assess your case. Um, and so I have that for my clients, but it also helps me to serve as a mediator and arbitrator um, because you kind of bring that neutral perspective that 
all attorneys uh, just don't have, um, you know, it, because we're kind of taught to be uh, positional and, and, and dig our heels in on a, on a position. And that's just not always the best way to serve your client, especially again, in family law cases, you know, there's always a cost benefit analysis that goes into it, which I know as a financial person, you can, you can uh, understand. Um, and, and there's always a, uh, an, a, a cost benefit analysis for the emotional cost of something. Um, and so serving as an arbitrator, uh, and, you know, to the extent I need to explain the difference, arbitration is binding and you are more judge-like, and whereas mediation is purely voluntary and, and non-binding on folks. Um, but so I, I tend to do a little more mediation than arbitration. Um, but, you know, the idea is uh, that, that it is always better in family cases uh, for people to reach their own agreement even if they don't like parts of it, um, than it is to have uh, something life-changing imposed upon them by a stranger who, frankly, knows nothing about them. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, you you mentioned a lot of a lot in there, uh, some of which yeah. we'll probably want to revisit in our conversation here today. But um, before we move along, why don't you? Uh, you've already shared a lot about you being from a small town in Ohio, college in New Jersey, landing in Atlanta you know, several years ago and kind of calling this home ever since, but what's, um, what's something, what's an interesting tidbit about yourself that, that maybe most people wouldn't be aware of? Well, um, so I don't know that this counts as interesting, uh, but well, a couple of things. Um, I, I, I actually spent quite a, a large chunk of my life in West Virginia. I don't own that very often. So no offense to your West Virginia listeners, but, <laughs> um, and then uh, I am, uh, I probably spend uh, the majority of my, my budget on concerts and music venues. So <laughs> I, I, I have traveled extensively uh, solely in pursuit of, 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 the perfect concert. <laughs> well, and I guess, I guess you, I guess that's been on a hiatus here the last year. Right. So, for right. so, so, so you've I've, probably I've been sh- in withdrawal. I've shifted that to Amazon purchases. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't, I don't think you're alone and I don't think right. you're alone in that, uh, in that situation, but um, what is the, what's the best concert uh, or musical performance you've seen in the last few years that, that jumps to that- mind? That's an easy one. I um, I have a, a very good friend who is also uh, an attorney and a family lawyer and former judge. And a couple of years ago, I, I she was never really a Springsteen fan. I've been a Springsteen fan since seventh grade. And so I, I, I dragged her along with me to a show at Lakewood and it was amazing. And she was an instant fan. And then uh, two years ago, she scored front row seats to Springsteen on Broadway and her husband said, I can't go with you. You got to take Kyla. So uh, so the two of us uh, got to sit, sit front and center for the uh, Springsteen Broadway show. He handed us guitar picks at the end. I might have physically assaulted him just a little. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he handed me the guitar pick and I realized that taking that out of his hand meant that I wasn't actually going to touch him. So I grabbed his wrist, just startled him a little, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was fine. I didn't, I didn't get carted out. Um, but yeah, that, that's hands down. But I've, I also, I got to see the Rolling Stones here a few years ago. She did that for me, the friend um, who took, who took me to Springsteen. I was not a huge Stones fan, but I got to say, I, 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 Mick Jagger has more charisma in his pinky than, 
you know, the majority of the other musicians I have ever seen. Well, and he probably needs it to help keep uh, Keith Richards alive. Right. Well, I got to tell you, Keith, I mean, Keith's got more charisma in his index finger than most people, <laughs> the two of them on stage. It's just, it's kind of amazing when, yeah. when you see them, the, the, the just natural energy, it's, it's, you can't, you can't harness it and you can't explain it. So um, I, we could probably talk music all day because I'm a music lover yeah. too. But um, <laughs> with with things starting to open back up, is there any uh, is there any concerts that you're planning to attend in the coming weeks or months that you're excited about? Well, I um, this is we 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 my I, my my husband. I'm actually saying that out loud. I just got married on on Saturday, so there's the other, other congratulations. The, the divorce lawyer got married. Um, and I think that's the first time I might be the first time I've said my husband. Um, but uh, he and I, um, one of the one of our our, our Venn diagram of of, uh, of things in common are he, his musical taste in some ways is very different than mine. And then we overlap quite a bit. And we've been you know looking uh, for the perfect music festival. Uh, but can we keep telling ourselves, just be patient, just be patient, just be patient. Um, so we only we have we have tickets to see a band called Clutch in in Asheville in September, um, but that's so that's our first one back. But uh, we had looked at there was a musical music festival in Napa that we looked at getting tickets for, and it just kind of wound up being an obscene amount of money. And uh, there's a uh, a festival in Chicago called Riot Fest. Yes, that sounds like it's for the kids, I know, but um, but we looked at that and I don't think we're going to be able to make that happen. So we're, we're trying to cool our jets and be patient. Well, well, A, first of all, congrats on the wedding. That's uh, that's you. that's awesome. And uh, and and look at you, um, you know, uh, being on podcasts and going to music festivals. So I know, I know. You're, you're living the dream and keep it, keep it, keeping yourself young. So, um, so uh, I think we've already kind of covered this ground. Um, so I don't know that we need to rehash kind of explaining what it is you do and things like that. So kind of uh, extending that idea, what what would you say in your experience is the biggest challenge that you help people address or solve? And, and I guess maybe in the context of a, of a divorce. Sure. Um, it kind of, you know, obviously, maybe obviously it depends on the issues, right? There are a lot of, um, a lot of folks who come into me. Um, the first thing I would say is, my goal always with any initial meeting with a client is that they leave feeling better than they came in. Right. So, so a lot of folks come in for their first meeting, having this new, you know, huge life-changing situation put upon them because they're not the ones um, choosing to get divorced. Uh, And they're, you know, obviously in a, in a very emotional state um, with, and no knowledge of what the future holds. Uh, And so that oftentimes can be just, you know, that, that first meeting, uh, that, that goal is not always attainable, but I would say we have, I have, you know, there are a lot of times when people are leaving that first meeting where, you know, they just feel a huge sense of, hopefully feel a huge sense of relief because, um, they've, they've, they've been educated. Um, but it really depends on what the issues are. Um, oftentimes people will come in and say, you know, I think we're going to work out the financial issues. It's not that complicated, but you know the custody issues are are, are hard. Um, you know we see a lot of divorce cases with special needs kids. When you've got a special needs child, uh, the divorce rate is actually much higher uh, than than you know I think every, every most people are aware the divorce rate's about fifty percent with special needs kids. It's 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 higher than that um, just because of it's 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 much harder to be on the same page with how to parent. Um, children in that circumstance, unfortunately. 
Uh, and then, you know, obviously when we're, you know, cases like, like you're probably a little bit more familiar with when, you know, the, it's, it's a complex asset division trying to explain um, the different sort of buckets and the different types types of assets to, to, to somebody who um, may not be particularly savvy uh, about, about the financial picture. Uh, it can be, can be quite challenging uh, as well. Um, and so it really just kind of depends, <laughs> right? And then, yeah. then you have the big one where there's the, you know, the custody issues and, and financial issues, and um, you've got you got a bunch of bunch of com- complex things to tackle, uh, and to just make sure your client's educated and understand uh, the understands the process. Because you know, as I said before, it's just we we understand that it's a scary scary thing to a lot of people. Yeah, I guess I guess ultimately we're talking about people here, so um, right. I'm not surprised to hear you say it. It depends, and I guess people bring different <laughs> circumstances and situations and mindsets and emotional baggage to the, the table. So uh, yeah, they sure teach you... us that in law school. It depends. That's the standard answer. <laughs> yeah. So um, I almost hesitate to use this word in the context of divorce, but thinking back over the last few years, what's a, what's a, maybe a client success um, that comes to mind um, given, you know, given that it depends clearly and right given all of the potential moving parts in, in any single case, is there, is there something that comes to mind for you of, of, you know, you walking away from that thinking like, you know, that was a, that was a good outcome despite the circumstances. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into too many details, but I, I have two, um, one financial and one custody related. Um, I have a, a, a case from, uh, last year where, uh, my client had relocated to, to a, um, an Asian country, uh, to, with, with her husband and child, uh, he was going to be teaching. And, um, right before the pandemic hit, uh, I think in January of last year, she found out that he was involved in an extramarital relationship and she wanted to, you know, bring the child back home to Atlanta and he had taken the child's passport. Um, so we were able to assist her in getting an emergency court order here in Georgia uh, for the state department to issue a new passport and um, get him on a plane and, and come back. And then we wound up having a uh, lengthy trial under a, under um, the Hague convention, which is an international uh, custody or international treaty. Um, so we had a trial uh, in May in person in federal court here in Atlanta over whether she and the child would be permitted to stay here uh, to proceed with the divorce or whether the child would be sent back. And uh, my partner, Melody, and I um, handled that and, and were successful and extremely happy when we got that, that decision. That was one of those, you know, you open your email and your hands are shaken <laughs> as you're, as you're reading, reading the opinion. Holy cow. And, and I, that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of floored by the, the situation or the picture you just painted, but then I guess adding the international layer to all of that and um, you know, I'm guessing communication challenges and time zones and things like yes. that. I mean, I, I can only imagine how, Challenging, but probably interesting. That must have been. Yes, yes, it was actually um, my first um, first case under that uh, under that 
treaty. Um, it was melodies as well, but she had actually written uh, an amicus brief for the United States Supreme for, for the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, a group that she's a member of. Um, she wrote an amicus brief to a for a Supreme Court case, so she was very well versed in the law. And so when I my client got served with this petition under the Hague Convention, it's like ah, I know I sort of had heart palpitations and and looked at Melody and she's like, oh, we got this. We're good. <laughs> it's okay. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was a very good thing. Um, and then from the financial perspective, I just had a case a couple of months ago. Um, it's still a divorce case. It's still ongoing, but we prevailed. There's, we prevailed in a summary judgment related to separate property um, that, that swung the, the marital asset pot uh, into a, a much larger asset category uh, than the other side had hoped. Um, and so that was another one where I got the, the order and, and, and my client was, um, I, I'm not, I, I, she was very happy, but it was one of those orders that I read and I thought, you know, maybe I just need to stop practicing law now. This, this is just such a great result. I, I might be done. Get right on top, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, family law, it's so discretionary with judges and they're the, the, the interesting thing about it. One of the interesting misnomers about it is I think there are a lot of lawyers out there who think they can just dabble and that it's simple. Um, but there are lots and lots of little technical intricacies that um, make it important to, to, you know, have someone in your corner who specializes in it. And, um, you know, this, this summary judgment issue was, is what I would cite as an example of that. It's just, you know, categorizing property as, as marital versus separate um, and somebody trying to claim that, you know, they had had separate property that ballooned during the marriage. Um, you really need a lawyer who's going to understand uh, the law on that rather than just kind of making assumptions. Yeah. And I, I could agree more uh, just to reiterate, super clearly what you just said. Um, if you're considering or being presented with a potential divorce or any kind of family law situation, it, it makes a, a whole hell of a lot of sense to um, interview and seek out an attorney that focuses on family law all, all the time, 100% of the time. Um, yeah. Because as Khaled has stated, if you've got somebody that's doing some family law, but they're also doing some estate planning or some business law here and there, um, it's I can't even imagine the challenge to keep up with any one discipline, let alone two or three or more. So um, I, I think that's an important point. And I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, what's, what surprised you most about your work in family law over the years? Huh, that's a tough question. Um, probably, uh, you know, it's it, it the evolving nature of it you know, is one thing. Um, custody and parenting time in particular has evolved significantly over the years. Um, the uh, There's been a bit of a shift in balance. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly over the last five years um, represented uh, a lot more women in cases where they're the breadwinner um, for, for, for various reasons. Um, and so uh, that has, you know, that's not necessarily surprising. I mean, I guess, you know, we sort of all saw, have seen that coming as as um, the workforce in some ways has has equalized, although pay still has not. But um, the the other thing is um, there's been such a 
there's been a, a major flip in the judiciary in the Atlanta metro area just in the last five to 10 years, which you know, is also natural. Um, but we've lot, lost a lot of, uh, of judges in um, Fulton County and Cobb County in particular in the last few years with, you know, just retirement and the nature of that. And so um, the changing and the changes in the judici- judiciary have come with sort of evolving and changing attitudes towards family law and the structure of families. And um, that's something that has been uh, a bit a bit surprising um, in a good way. Uh, and not, you know, not to say that the judges who have been doing this for a long time, it's great to have that body of experience. Um, but at the same time, it's it's been um, refreshing to see, to have, you know, new sets of eyes here and there as well. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's been a, a, an interesting shift. And, and kind of to carry that thought forward, I, you know, I've, I've experienced this anecdotally and I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts or feedback. You mentioned a couple of times in our conversation, how, um, judges are going to trial. Um, you're, you're, you're often putting your case in eight. Well, I shouldn't say often you're putting your case basically in someone else's hand to make decisions, but the judge or the attorneys maybe bring, uh, their own, uh, uh, biases is probably too strong a word, but their own kind of, uh, approach or philosophy or perspective to the table. So like recently, and I, and I've, ex- I've experienced this before, but I have got a woman, um, who was just referred to me in the last 30 days. She's early sixties, uh, getting divorced after 35 plus years of marriage, but she's been a stay at home mom, um, mm-hmm. raised two kids. Um, and she told me, and I've, again, I've heard this before from other attorneys that, uh, generally, um, a lot of judges frown, I shouldn't say frown upon. They do not, um, reward stay-at-home wives or stay-at-home moms as equitably as they might uh, a woman that worked, um, if not full-time, had worked in the past. So I'm, I don't know if I'm I'm explaining that very clearly, but uh, is that something you've experienced or is that something that you would at least brushing with a broad stroke would, would agree with? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely would. It's, 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 um, those cases are oftentimes, unfortunately, the hardest, um, for for us to handle uh, because of the realities of it um, and and sort of the de- devaluing in our society of um, you know a, a stay at home parent um, and I it'll be it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see to see how this you know how it develops or continues to develop um, because yeah I mean once you're once a couple of things right there are uh, sort of an expectation based on age at the time of the divorce. And, you know, it's, it's a lot different if I've got a 40 year old client who has a, you know, bachelor's degree and has been a stay at home mom, um, versus a 60 year old female client. And I'm actually, and occasionally I'm being honest at this point, I have some, some 40 year old male clients who have a bachelor's degree and have been a stay at home dad too. And so it's an even, you know, that, that dynamic changes things, but when you're talking about somebody who's, you know, 55 or 60, um, the considerations that go into that, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult to say to somebody that age, oh, well, you need to go back to school and get a job, right? Um, right? But the flip side of that, too, is I think a lot of judges view it as, um, you know, the, the, the breadwinner, it's also not fair to expect that person to work until they're 
75 years old in order to pay alimony to somebody else. So it's, you know, if, if, you know, if that's where you come in, right, is hopefully there are retirement assets, um, you know, that are accumulated and divided equitably uh, that, that in a way, uh, or, or inequitable, well, equitably meaning fairly, so not equal, right? So that's, that's the other part of Georgia law that's important um, to remember is, you know, there's sort of this, this, this idea that, um, you know, when you get divorced, there are, you know, there's a pot of marital assets and they get uh, divided 50-50. Well, often, and oftentimes that's, that, that's an equal division, but it's not equitable, um, especially when one spouse is going to continue to earn uh, and, and one does not have um, a great earning capacity. Um, but yes, your, your question, the, 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 the court system, um, with, with one or two exceptions, um, there's, there is, there's one judge who is sort of famous for his philosophy being, you know, my, my mama got lifetime alimony when my dad divorced her. And so there you go. So if you're lucky enough to get that one particular judge, um, he brings his personal bias in, in favor of the stay at home mom. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of that unfortunately does not, does not happen often. Well, um, well, to your earlier comment, I mean, I, the reason I, I commend you for encouraging people to settle or reach an agreement via mediation and not go to trial is because you're literally rolling the dice and depending on what jurisdiction you're in and, and things like that, you know, of which, which judge you get and, and, you know, that particular judge's personal history or views on, on, on this, this is just a single example, but I'm sure there are, are others. So sure. um, I, I think that just uh, helps emphasize the, the, the need and the urgency to, to reach an agreement or find a settlement um, and avoid going to trial if at all possible. Right. What's a, what's a, what's a common misconception? I mean, arguably there's a ton of misconceptions about attorneys in general <laughs> and probably, general, right? <laughs> yeah, probably family law uh, specifically, but what's a common misconception about your work um, that you've experienced either, either kind of broadly or maybe just specifically in communicating with clients? Oh, sure. I mean, it's that we're all sharks, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's that. And, and that we're all dishonest. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, and that we will encourage our clients to be dishonest. And, you know, that, that's one thing that, um, you know, for, for me philosophically, and for, and part of the reason I joined this firm when I came out of the judge's office is, you know, that, that we all, uh, our, our lawyers who also have um, consciences that, con- that, that need to, we need to sleep at night, right? We all sort of have the same philosophy of, these, of this thing. And my preference would be to preserve my clients' assets for them and for their children. Uh, you know, I'll be fine. <laughs> and so um, there is certainly a, a misconception that, that, you know, divorce lawyers are, are in it just to make money for themselves. And, you know, there, there certainly are some, um, some like that. Uh, But the, the, the misconception is that, that we are all that way. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I try to do everything uh, with my clients in a cost benefit analysis way. You know, I, I, why would you pay me, you know, $10,000 to recover five. That makes, you know, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make much sense. Right. <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, I, I try to give people a good reality check on, on, you know, how much something's going to cost both, like I said earlier, I think emotionally, there's an emotional cost that you can't really put a dollar on. Um, well, and I think so that, I, I think that, it. well, yeah, well, I, I think that's, I think that's an important point. And I think it also um, harkens back to earlier when you talked about the importance of empathy and, mm-hmm. um, and just to be clear, um, you know, for you to encourage people to settle via mediation or um, out of court, um, mm-hmm. that's you making less money because uh, if you've got a lawyer up and go to trial, that's that's yeah. going to a it's going to take longer, but it's going to cost a heck of a lot more money. Um, and Correct. so, um, you know, you need to recognize the attorney's motivations, good or bad, um, mm-hmm. for the direction they're steering you. And and I, yeah. And there are certainly times when trial is worth it, right? Yeah. 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 Sure. I mean, I, mean I, I like to tell my clients, listen, you know, I am a competitive person. I, I was a competitive tennis player for, for a number of years until my knees decided that was not a great idea. Um, I don't like to lose. And so I am not a lawyer who enjoys going to court and getting my ass kicked over an issue that I know is going to, what I know it's going to go that way. I mean, but you know, you can pay me a lot of money to do that, but I don't enjoy it even when I'm getting paid because I don't like to lose. Right, right. <laughs> and so, so going, you know, there is, there is no reason, um, no reason to do that when we have a reasonable understanding of what the outcome is likely to be. Now, when we have a reasonable understanding of what the outcome is likely to be, and the other side is taking a completely ridiculous position, there is certainly a time and a place to go to court. <laughs> and I, I much prefer to do that when I have a good indication of, of which side of that I'm going to be on at the end. And I think my clients appreciate that more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I think uh, clearly it makes sense to fight battles. You feel like you got a good, good chance of winning. So sure. um, Sure. What, um, and I don't going back and recognizing the fact that you earlier said it depends for, for each Mm -hmm. situation, but um, given that uh, what's a, what's a specific strategy or piece of advice that while clearly it's not going to be suitable for every situation that, you know, that you're dealing with, you found to be particularly effective as it relates to divorce or family law in general? Um, oof. So, um, and this comes from my judicial perspective, right? I get a lot of, I, I get, you get a lot of people who initially come in and they want to go tit for tat. And, you know, if, if the other side's being an asshole, they think it's going to benefit them to be an asshole back. Right. Yes. And that's just not the case. Yeah. This is a hot, you know, judges, you got to, especially where kids are concerned. Um, and I have the, I have the luxury, I think to some extent with lawyers and clients, water seeks its own level. Um, so I, I like to think of myself as a rational strategic thinker uh, and, and it's a match, right? That's one of the things circling back to when we were talking about, uh, and I'm going a little bit off on a tangent here, but when we were talking about um, finding a lawyer who, who specializes, it's also important to find a lawyer who you trust from a, a, a personality, you have to, a personality perspective, right? I mean, professionally, of course, um, and, and everybody's not a personality match, right? I have had, I have certainly had consults with clients and I have, I have said, listen, I am not your lawyer. I can give you names of other folks. This is just not, you know? Um, and so I, I would say that, um, 
you know, one of, again, one of the things that attracted me to, to this firm when I was, when I was choosing where to go is we are all very much high road people. We all coach our clients. Um, you know, this is not, this is not the circumstance, despite what you've seen on in movies and, and on TV shows, this is not the circumstance where you want to get down in the mud. Um, a judge, a judge, the worst thing you can do is be the bad actor when you go in front of a court. Um, and again, especially where your kids are concerned. So we, we spend a lot of time, um, you know, coaching our, our clients who, many of whom are already of that mind frame, right? Which, which is great. Uh, uh, but that's, that's one of the, and I can circle this back to your misconception thing too, is, um, you know, you want to be, uh, to the extent possible, you want to be the one who is the one taking the high road. You do not want to be the one that a group of divorce lawyers are sitting around at a cocktail hour telling stories of their craziest clients and the craziest things things they've done because that happens. Yeah. Well, and that'll have to, that'll have to be a part two of our conversation. We'll have to do another episode and we can talk about the crazy ones. <laughs> Right, right. I'll talk about other people's crazy ones. I'm not uh, going yeah. to divulge any of mine. Right? Well, uh, yeah, attorney-client privilege and all that. <laughs> right, right, right. What, uh, what, um, and this is, uh, I always like to ask this question, um, what, what if, what if anything prevents people from following your advice? And, and that doesn't have to be like advice, big picture, but maybe like some of the smaller battles along the way. Um, you know, I, I can't say that that's a problem I typically have. If you haven't figured it out already, I tend to be a pretty strong personality. Um, and I tend to also, you know, I don't want people to pay me for advice if they're not going to follow it. Um, and so right. that can be a tough conversation to have with a client sometimes. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I if it is not a, a good personality match, if you're not you know, if they're not going to, to, to listen to me and follow advice, then um, perhaps there is someone else out there who they will listen to and who would have a better, um, better ability to, to communicate uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that happens. I would, or much, um, you know, occasionally, and that's not to say I'm always right. Certainly I, I have had, you know, I have had clients that I would say are, are smarter than I am in many ways. I mean, I'm not here giving them investment advice. And so hopefully they wouldn't follow that if I tried, <laughs> um, I'll send them to you for that. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to hear the tough advice. Um, and so sometimes I would say if, and there are certainly times when I'm giving people tough advice and tough love. Uh, and so that's probably the biggest barrier is just not wanting to hear it. It sounds like it really just comes back to finding a good attorney client relationship where there's a good, a good fit, you know, personality wise, professionally, philosophically. I mean, I, I think, yes. I got to think that I, I got to think that solves a lot of problems before they happen. Um, mm -hmm. And also I I'd love your, a quick comment. I talking about like clients conserving their assets and their funds and things like that. There's mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a couple of clients get pretty far down the road with a family law attorney um, only to, for whatever reason, hit, hit an impasse and they have to literally go back yeah. and start over with another attorney. And um, mm -hmm. I, not just the financial expense, but the emotional expense of having to, you know, basically 
go through that entire discovery process again with a new attorney and, and rehash stories you've already told and things like that. I mean, that's so, so yeah, I, I, I think maybe yeah. to kind of put a pin that's in this, fun. it's, it's be very, very um, selective and choose wisely when, you know, seeking out mm-hmm. the right family attorney for you or family law attorney for you. For sure. Yeah. The, the, there were a couple of years ago, this hasn't happened as much lately, but it seems like with every, I don't know, you know, you wind up dealing with the same five situations in a year and then you don't see it again for a while. But um, there are, there were, uh, and this is going to sound flippant, but, um, and I don't mean it that way, but I wound up charging a couple of different clients a lot more money than they should have had to pay anybody to try to undo what a past not great attorney had done. Right. And so oh, I call wow. it unscrambling eggs, you know, so, you know, these people are left in it are put in a situation where they've, you know, come to me with, as the second lawyer with kind of a bag of bad advice. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate because like, if I, if I'd been your first lawyer, it would have been done differently <laughs> to start with the strategy yeah. would have been completely different. And so, you know, I, I, and I usually say that to folks, you know, I'll do, I'll do my best at unscrambling your eggs, but there's only so much of that I can do. I can, I can try to shift the trajectory here. We can shift strategies. Um, And so, so that, that is hard for me as a professional uh, to, 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 to deal with, because of course, you know, like I said, I have a conscience. It, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me. Um, to have to, to do that, but I also hope that I am able to do it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, and clearly you want to get the best outcome for your clients, even if that means you've got to right. take a couple steps back to, to move forward in the, on the right path. Um, right. I like the, I like the unscrambling eggs uh, analogy that, uh, that, that paints a pretty yeah. clear picture of, of what it is you're right. doing in those, in those situations. Um, right. So um, we've talked a lot about, your practice uh, of family law and the things that you do. If um, so, a lot of my listeners are women in their fifties, sixties, and olders, uh, or older. Mm-hmm. Their their family, their kids, even if they're adult kids, are you know one of the most important things in their lives. So, um, mm-hmm. the question I like to ask is: if a let's say a, a high school senior or maybe a, a college undergrad is thinking about law school, or um, they've always been intrigued by the legal profession and they hear this conversation and they're like, wow, I, Kyla sounds like a cool person. Family law sounds interesting, uh, especially when we get to work on international cases uh, and, and things like that, which uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. don't pop up every uh, every week. Um, but if a, if a, a high school senior, a, a college student is, is listening to this and they think, wow, I'd, I'd like to learn more. I'd maybe like to pursue a uh, a legal career, or or maybe more specifically, a career in family law. Um, any advice or guidance you'd give to someone like that? Um, take a lot of psychology classes <laughs> because learning to um, learning to to sort of understand and um, discuss things with people uh, and and understand the personalities um, at play is a big big piece of this job. Um, the other thing, and this is actually just advice for anybody in that age range. And I don't, um, I, I, I have, I've given this, this speech to a lot of people who kind of look at me cross-eyed sometimes, but, um, every, almost every job you are going to have as an adult professional is boils down to customer service, right? I am in the job of customer service. My job is a customer service job. Your job is a customer service job, 
Um, and so some of the best life experience, in my opinion, for a young person to have is some sort of a customer service job. I learned more from waitressing my way through college and a little bit in law school. I learned more about people and how to handle situations and how to think on my feet um, by, by doing those jobs. Um, and how to, how to be nice when you're having a crappy day because your, your livelihood depends on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, um, I, I'm not, I'm not certain that that, that is, and I'm going to sound like get off my lawn old person here. Um, but I'm not certain that that's really something, the value in those jobs, um, is something that is really imparted upon young people. For me, when I was, you know, 15 years old, my, I had a sister who was 10 years older than I was, and she had waitressed all through high school and, and co- or high school, and then worked retail through college. Um, and I was like, well, oh, gee, I can make 350 an hour, you know, working at a gift shop, or I can make 10 bucks an hour waitressing, you know, at this restaurant. And so that was first, first job I had when I was 16 years old, you know, was, was waiting tables. And, um, it, it, it teaches you a lot about dealing with people that has, have made a, has made a huge difference for me in my ability to interact with bosses, Um, and, uh, you know, when I, when I worked for a judge and interact with the lawyers that, um, were, you know, hopefully voting for her (laughs) and constituents, um, and then in this job as, um, a a lawyer who is, who is ultimately serving my clients in difficult situations. So, um, that's probably not what most of your undergrad, your law school aspiring law students really want to hear. Um, but I think that it's something that's been lost a little bit on, um, you know, on the, the 20 to 30 something, 35 ish, you know, generation. I'm not, I'm not going to bash millennials because I think they take way too much already. Um, but I think that, that that is such a huge piece of your ability to, to succeed as a professional. What great advice. I mean, A, a I love the, the idea of taking psychology and, and having a better understanding of just humans and all of our flaws and weird ways of making decisions. Um, and I, and frankly, I think the, you know, the customer service and, and idea of waiting tables ties into that nicely too, because it gives you a, a peek into different people and rude people and polite people and people that tip well and don't and dealing with your coworkers and juggling priorities. And um, yeah, that's, I, I agree. I think that's great life advice, but specifically good advice for someone that's considering maybe a, a law career of, of some flavor or another. So, so thanks for sharing that. Um, Kyla, this is, uh, I, I feel like you and I could probably talk for another hour easily, but um, I agree. You, <laughs> great. yeah, you, you good for another few questions? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so this is women's retirement radio. Um, it's, it's all mm-hmm. about, you know, women in their fifties, sixties, uh, thinking about kind of their, the next chapter in their life and retirement. And clearly that, word is loaded and means different, very different things to very different people. But when you think about the word retirement, um, what comes to mind for you personally? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell, I'll tell a story of, of, of what, what hopefully active, right? I mean, that's, that's everybody's goal, right? Is right. To, I hope that's everybody's goal, right? Is, is, um, is to be, to be able to actively enjoy uh, my retirement. And I got to, I got to say, I kind of flip-flop on that because to some extent, like, well, you know, I want to spend a lot of money now when I'm still in my forties and, 
and in of good he- in good health. Uh, but at the same time, and thankfully, my husband is of the other. Like, no, 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 we're going to save for retirement so that we can live it up <laughs> during our retirement, right? Um, so, gosh, travel goals, um, and and then we also kind of have that conversation about you know what would we do? What do we what would we do? Um, you know, ideally, and I, I can't imagine that I'm not still going to be uh, as a retired person, um, you know, actively volunteering, or I don't know, you know, some, something is going to have to have to occupy my day. But, you know, all of that comes with financial security, yeah. right, and the ability to. Um, and so, uh, I tend to think more, and this is just my personality type. I tend to think more about the dreaminess of it rather than the reality of it. And thankfully I have a, a partner who thinks more about the reality of it and uh, everybody doesn't have that luxury. Um, uh, so I also, it's, it's one of those things that I always thought, Oh my gosh, that's just so far off. And, you know, I'm, I am now, uh, quickly approaching 50. And so it's not as far off as it used to seem. I have plenty of time. Uh, Really not so much anymore. Well, well, it sounds like you and your husband are are, uh, well-balanced as far as, uh, as far as (laughs) thinking about and planning ahead for the financial responsibilities that uh, will face you down the road. So, so that's a good thing. Um, But I, I do, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of research that supports like people that retire, but don't really have something to retire to, whether that's family volunteering, um, maybe working part-time and more of a kind of like a passion project type job, um, their health, their health declines. I want to be in a flower shop. Say again. (laughs) I just want to be in a, I just want to be in a flower shop. There you go. Be surrounded by flowers. There you go. Right. That's how I envision retirement. There you go. Gardening and flowers. Well, but in, but you also raise an important point, which is a lot of people can kind of even unconsciously kind of side up, sign up for the deferred life plan. Like I'm going to live it up once I'm 65 and, and retired and have more time. But, you know, to your point, which I think is an important one, um, you know, you don't know what your <laughs> health is going to be like. You don't know what the world's going to be like then. You don't know if we're going to be in uh, a travel lockdown or, or who the heck knows what will right. be. We'll leave it, we'll leave it with that at, at, at that time. So I think there's a, I think there's a lot to be said for finding a striking a balance between being well-prepared for, an uncertain future and, and living a, a great life today. So, um, so I, I commend you. It sounds like you sounds like you've got a, a healthy attitude uh, as you kind of think about retirement down the road. So, um, I know you mentioned earlier that you found yourself working more in the last few years more with more women breadwinners in families, things like that. Um, but clearly, uh, you, you also kind of alluded to the fact that there are still some challenges specific to women um, thinking about retirement, whether yeah. that's kind of the pay gap or the fact that women live longer. Um, generally, what, what, what do you see as the biggest challenge that women specifically face when they're planning for retirement? Well, I mean, that, and that, that's, I mean, that's sort of, we still sort of, you know, from a societal perspective, I think um, I still see more women who lack knowledge of the financial picture. Right. And so, and, and, and I, 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 with, if you're, with your audience being who they are, um, I'm not sure I'm going to be saying anything helpful to them because we're already, you know, I, I, we're already in the situation. <laughs> um, and so, but what I see a lot of still in my practice is 
you know, um, women who are, even if they're the, prof- even if they're also, you know, ha- have had a job, they've been the ones who have sort of, you know, managed the, the payment of the day-to-day bills. Uh, but as far as knowledge of investments and investment vehicles and, you know, where the, the assets are, they, they lack that knowledge. Um, and that, is just, it's something that I'm hoping we're going to see shift more and more. Um, but, you know, from a societal perspective, I think that's just kind of one of the traditional things that has still um, not shifted as much as many uh, traditional things have. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, I think, where it's important for somebody like you to come in who can uh, help educate uh, people, uh, women in particular, about um, you know, what their options are, uh, and what the picture is. Uh, and so for the, you know, anybody who's listening, who is, you know, contemplating divorce or sees it coming, um, you know, educating yourself, uh, sooner rather than later, um, is, is, uh, is critically important, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we see, and I'm sure you see a lot, you know, I have, if I have, um, and occasionally we'll consult with somebody pre-divorce, you know, who hasn't made the decision of what to do yet. Um, I also do, you know, prenuptial agreements is one of the things that I didn't talk about. And so when I have a client who, you know, is, is a younger person who is um, getting a prenup and, you know, it's a female who perhaps isn't the one with the assets going in and is likely to, you know, stay at home if they have kids, you know, I always tell that person, let's you know, put part of this in the prenup is that there will be contributions to a retirement account in your name, you know, as part of your, as part of this. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I know for a lot of folks, hindsight's 2020 and there's coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, but for anybody who has, still has that as an option, you know, um, ensuring that there are investments, you know, that are, you know, title doesn't matter, but at the same time, it's, it's helpful if you can ensure that you know, there's some balance there. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, yeah. All great points. And, and I, I agree. I mean, I, you, you probably see this under a microscope regularly where, um, and it's not always, it doesn't always fall along the stereotypical gender lines where it's the Correct. man makes the money. The woman is kind of um, out of the loop with the family finances. I've seen the, I've seen the reverse be true as well. As have I. Sure. But it's, yeah, it's just really, it's almost heartbreaking to see sometimes when a lot of wealth has been accumulated uh, to millions of dollars. And one of the, one of the partners is, is largely out of the loop um, as far as the family finances, how they work, how decisions have been made, why decisions have been made. And I found that's where kind of to use your analogy earlier of unscrambling eggs, I've, I've found myself in the position to be introduced to um, often women coming out of that, coming out of a divorce and they've got some big financial decisions to make and they're, they're bright, capable, educated women, yes. but they just, they're just not yes. familiar with it and, and, and not being familiar with it. They don't have confidence. And so a lot of times they just kind of get paralyzed by the, what they, what they think is the enormity of it. And it's, it doesn't have to be that way. And and I, I think uh, I'm kind of rambling, but want to, put an exclamation point on what you shared about, you know, it's never too late to get more educated, to talk to people, to learn. Um, there's so many resources online that, that are free. Um, there's books you can read. So 
so yeah, um, make sure you're arming yourself um, uh, for certainly for you know good days ahead. But in the event you find yourself facing the loss of a spouse or divorce or think something like that, you need to be you need to be extra well prepared and, and have an understanding of what's going on. So um, super important, and um, I'm I'm glad you highlighted that. Um, yeah. So as I think we've kind of been dancing around a divorce, especially for women later in their life can be really, really mm-hmm. impactful. Um, often, yes. often negatively. So um, how, mm-hmm. how would you characterize your work as impacting women and their families as they plan for or transition into retirement? Um, you know, maybe as it relates to divorce. Well, one thing I will say to you is yes, it, we've kind of, we have danced around this, but we've also kind of painted this and I think I've done this as well uh, as you know you know horrifying and scary let me tell you I've got a lot of clients who are just thrilled to come out on the other side of this um, if you've been in an unhappy marriage or an unhappy relationship for a long period of time um, oftentimes and this is I don't want to you know I don't want to be the divorce lawyer advocating for divorce um, but I, I certainly have many clients who, um, you know, oftentimes it's their choice to move forward with it. Oftentimes, even when it's not though, you know, once, once you get through it all and you come out on the other end, you know, I, I have clients I run into two years later who are just, you know, happy, Yeah. <laughs> right. And happy for the first time in a very long time. Um, and so I, I do want to, do want to at least recognize that, um, and, and, I'm, so, and I'm, yeah, that, and I'm, and I'm glad you highlighted that because that, that's absolutely the case. And I think we're kind of talking about finances, but I'm thinking of them more in isolation. Sure. Um, I've, I too yes. have encountered women and men that, you know, yeah, a few months or a few years down the road post divorce, they, they're, and they'll tell you they're in the best place they've ever been in their lives. So, um, yeah. but I interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah. And no, that's okay. The one thing I will say too, and I'm, maybe I'm I'm trying to take your negative and put a positive, or not that you were being negative, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I um, control, right? I mean, if there's something liberating and and impactful about you know about having control of your destiny, um, and so you know whether it's somebody who's coming out of out of a divorce with not as much as they hoped for. Um, but then, you know, working with somebody like you to help them plan for the future, um, to, to be the one who is able to, 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 to harness that. And, you know, I'm, this is also coming from a person who might be a little controlling. Um, <laughs> so we're not pointing any fingers it's, here. It's, it's, no, 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 no. I always, I joke. That's one of those things that I, you know, people call me controlling. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with that? It's like somebody calling me competitive. Well, who likes to lose? That's, that's these are good things as far right. as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, and so, so I think that that, and I'm not sure I answered your question. Um, but I think that, um, that is something that is just kind of hugely impactful post-divorce is to, to be able to, to, to recognize and acknowledge that, you know, you're the one you get, to, and it's scary, um, especially if it's the first time in your life that you've really been the one, um, you know, totally in the driver's seat, but it, it's, it's refreshing. And I think it can also be empowering too. Once, once they get their feet yes, under them and, and kind of, you know, see, see a path mm-hmm. forward, which, which I think you help pay for them and getting them through the, yep. the divorce process, hopefully as quickly and, um, painlessly as possible. So, um, right. Right. So as we start to wrap up, Kyla, again, this has been great. I, I 
I'm glad we're having this conversation and able to share it with our listeners. Um, you've already kind of touched on, you know, having played tennis and loving to go to, you know, concerts and musical performances. Um, so maybe you've already answered this, but if you've got a, it, I, sh- I say if not when, uh, if you've got an hour or two all by yourself, like how, how do you enjoy spending that? Oh gosh. Um, I, I, I usually will read New York times, uh, cooking recipes and menu plan or I, I like to cook yeah. as well. So, um, if I've got some free time, I, I peruse the, what to cook this week, uh, email <laughs> and, and usually try to try to come up with something that sounds good. What's your favorite go-to <laughs> recipe? Oh my goodness. Oh, there are so many that I'll, all I can say is, um, and, and here, here's my bit of financial advice. I think it's like a $40 a year subscription to the New York times for their cooking bit. It is the best money you could spend. Um, and there are just a few, I, I really, there are a couple of the, um, chefs in particular that I, I, I tend to Melissa Clark and Sam Sifton pretty much anything by either one of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've uh, and my my husband is during COVID mastered Indian cooking Indian food, um, so he's got quite a few Indian recipes that he has been doing. Um, but I tend to go more towards um, Thai food and other other Asian uh, recipes. I also like to bake. Uh, if I'm probably if I were going to bake anything, if I were going to do anything, it would be baking, typically cake or cobbler type things cookies occasionally. Awesome. So, I can't pick one. That's just impossible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like asking I, uh, me to pick a favorite band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. We'll, we'll be sure to share to share a link to the New York times subscription cooking uh, resource in the yeah, show notes. Um, that, that's really, that's really cool. Um, as we wrap up, what's um, we've covered a ton. Um, we can probably mm-hmm. cover a ton more, but if there were one thing that our listeners could take away from our conversation today, what would you want that one thing to be? Oh gosh. Um, you know, uh, uh, divorce doesn't have to be bad. doesn't have to be a bad thing. Nice. Um, I, think that, I think that's really, that's think, really it. Yeah. I think that's a nice succinct way to kind of wrap up our conversation today. So, um, if someone's listening, Kyla, they want to learn more about you, your firm, the work you do, what's the best way that people could reach out or learn more or find you online? So I'll, I'll, I'll tell a, tell a funny story. I met my husband. We, we mentioned a few times already. He's going to, I'm just getting so thrilled with saying the word, right? I met him uh, on an online dating site 11 years ago. And I, I had a fake name because if you Google Kyla, K-Y-L-A, Atlanta, you're going to find me. There aren't a lot of us. <laughs> so I, I had a, I had a fake name for that. So I would ensure that I wasn't going to get chopped up into little pieces. Um, smart, so, smart thinking. So, so, so right. But, but to, to really answer your question, our, our website is, or is um, RB Richardson Bloom and line. So RBL family um, is probably the easiest way uh, to, to reach me. Um, and then all of our contact information is on that website. Right. Well, like we'll, said, uh, Google Kyla Atlanta and you'll find that website. <laughs> well, 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 so. A, I'm glad that uh, 11 years on you and your now husband uh, made it work. So, uh, and yep. um, the, the fake name was not a deterrent and um, right. we'll, we'll be sure to share a link to the website and your LinkedIn profile and, and things like that. So if people want to reach out, learn more, talk, uh, maybe they 
maybe they know someone that needs to talk to you about this sort of stuff, they can uh, certainly reach out and get in touch. So Kyle, this has been great. I appreciate your, your time and sharing a little bit about your experience and expertise with us. This has been fun. Thank you for having me. It has been fun. Yeah. And um, yeah. And and to all everyone out there listening, thanks again for joining us. This is Russ with Women's Retirement Radio, and we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. It's Russ again. And before you go, I want to provide a brief disclosure. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.